Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning eager to hear you, expectant to hear your voice as your word goes out. And we pray that you would prod us, that you would prompt us, that you would encourage us, that you would change us. And Lord, I ask that you get rid of anything in this place uh, today that would stop us from hearing you. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. I've said it before, I'll say it again, that there are, there are five Gospels. Yep. You know what they are. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. What's the fifth one? Your life. Your life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and your life. And most people who don't come into church, they've never read Matthew, they've never read Mark, they've never read Luke, they've never read John, But they do look at us, or they do look at you, and they watch the way that you live, and they watch the things that you do, and the things that you say, and we're supposed to be a a beacon of light to Christ for the people who would never normally set foot in this church. And I share that story because that's really my main point this morning, that Philippians chapter 2 calls us to to shine like stars in this world. Here it is on the screen. Shine like stars in the world. Philippians chapter 2 verse 15. We all love stars, don't we? You ever head to the outback? I'd encourage you to do it. Get, get, Get out of the city. Get out of Sydney. Get out of the bright lights. Get in your car and just drive, and drive to a place where there is no light. And as night falls, you're plunged into utter, utter darkness. It's so dark that you can't even see your hands in front of your face. And then the stars appear, and the stars are millions of miles away. But as the stars appear, what happens? It dispels the darkness, and you can suddenly see. And as the stars appear, you're kind of going, wow, it's not this dark void out there. There's order. There is, there's order in the chaos. And the stars, they're just beautiful. You're kind of going, wow. And that is the image that God uses for us as Christians. We, children of God, who claim to believe in Jesus, we live in, in a world that Philippians 2 verse 15 calls a, a crooked and a perverted world. And you might not like those words, but it is true, isn't it? We live in, in a world that is crooked, it is wrong, it's upside down, where a world that calls evil good, and, and a world where you know, the, the poor are, are trampled on, that's a crooked world. Or a perverted world, a world that actually just says, you can do whatever you want as long as it feels good for you. And we live in this world. And God calls us to shine as stars, to to be different in this world, to dispel the darkness, to illuminate this world, and to shine hope, and to shine love, and to shine goodness, the, the blazing goodness of God into a world that desperately needs some answers to life. We're called to shine as stars. Do you see the words used in verse 15? Uh, it, it uses the words blameless. Uh, we know that we're not blameless. We know that we are not beyond accusation. But he wants us to strive for that. He wants us to live in a way that, that no one can label us as hypocrites. 
Uh, He uses the word pure in verse 15, set apart or perfect. He uses the word faultless in verse 15, fit for God. Isn't that beautiful? So that you may be blameless and pure, verse 15, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. All he's saying here is, if you claim to love Jesus, you are a child of God, God is your father, heaven is your home, I just want you to live differently in this world. Will you shine for me this week in this dark world? It's not just Paul that says that, the whole Bible says that. Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 talks about God's people shining like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn man to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You might not know Daniel chapter 12 but I assume you know Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says you are the light of the world. And he's not talking about Jesus Christ there, he's talking about you. And of course Jesus Christ is the light of the world, but he looks at followers of Jesus Christ and says, you are the light of the world, because people look at you and they see the way that you live. It's this beautiful picture. We're God's children. And by the way that we live and the things that we say and the things that we don't say and our attitude towards people and the actions that we take, we're supposed to be blazing out the the goodness and the glory and the love of God in this dark, dark world. So we're going to talk this morning about how we are going to live differently. How we're going to speak differently. How we're going to behave differently. How we're going to have a different focus in life. Becoming more and more and more like the the saviour that we claim to love and claim to live for. Well, as soon as I say that, there's a whole raft of reactions. Some people here are excited, going, yes, this is exciting. I want to live differently for Jesus. And I'm guessing some are exhausted going, oh no, not another sermon to make me feel guilty about how I'm failing. And there'll be some apathy here going, who cares? I do actually want us this morning to, to, to feed those who are excited, to encourage those, to really encourage those who are exhausted and to shake us out of apathy. I think it's exciting to be a star. See, God says you are a star. He just calls you to shine like a star. Do you see that verse 15? You shine like stars in the world. We're already stars. He just asks us to shine more brightly. And I hope that you realize that you're already a star. As soon as you have met Jesus, as soon as you believed in Jesus, as soon as you've had a personal encounter with Jesus, he calls you a star. He plucks you out of the darkness and puts you in the the night sky. You are a star already. But there's got to be a moment in your life where you say, yep, that was the moment when I understood and I believed and my eyes were opened and I fell on my knees and said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Saviour. Now, when was that? For you personally, when was that? Because that's the moment you became a star. That's the moment that you were right with God. That's the moment that you, the word is justified. You were declared not guilty before God. He's not asking you to shine like a star so that you can be right with God. He's saying you are a star. Now let's make sure that you're shining brightly. Let's make sure that you're shining more brightly for Jesus today than you were last week. There's a phrase that he uses 
in verse 12, which kind of unpacks that. Let me read it. So then, my dear friends, my beloved ones, literally, so then, because, because you believe that Christ humbled himself and Christ was exalted, so then, my beloved ones, just as you've always obeyed, you're doing really well, church. Your lives are exemplary, church. You've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but in my absence. Here's the phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say work for your salvation, that's important. He doesn't say that as you shine, as you live differently, then you'll earn your salvation. He doesn't say work at your salvation. He says work out your salvation. He says you are saved, you have been justified, you will be saved in the last day. But as you live in this dark world, between the moment you're converted and the moment you reach glory, you've got some work to do. And the word there is sanctified. It's a theological word. It just means that you're you're being set apart, you're being made more holy, you're being made more like Jesus, and that's a, a work in progress, isn't it? I feel like we need to stamp our heads saying, work in progress, because that's what we all are, aren't we? Now put your hand up here this morning if you're blameless. Put your hand up here if you're faultless. Put your hand up if you're pure. We're not, are we? But we want to be, don't we? That's what it means to work out your salvation, to say, I actually want to know Jesus better and to be more godly and to be more Christ-like today than I was yesterday. That's what he's talking about. It's almost like the moment that you became a Christian, if you are a Christian, it's like a a lump of wax that God takes and and stamps mine. And you are his, you are a child of God. But that's when the work begins. That's when he chips away at you and says, that needs to change. And and that, well done, work on that, That's, that's amazing, but keep doing that. And he keeps chipping away at you over the weeks, over the months, over the years, God prodding you, God changing you to make you more like Jesus. So work out your salvation, says Paul. The problem with that phrase, work out your salvation, is it's a bit confusing, isn't it? Because you listen to some sermons and the preacher will say, it's all of God, just let go and let God, and God will change you. And you walk out thinking, oh, that's okay, I can do what I want because God will change me. And you hear other preachers and they say, strive for God and do this and don't do this and keep your journals and do your Bible reading. And he's like, well, okay, it's all down to me to grow my salvation. So which one is it? Is it all down to God or is it all down to you? What's the answer? Both. It's all down to God and it's all down to you. I want to say that God is at work in us. God is at work in us so that we can and we must work. Let's unpack the second half of that. We can and we must work because that's where Paul starts. Verse 12. So then, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, work out your salvation. Grow in your salvation. Keep working at it with fear and with trembling. He says, put in the effort. Hebrews 12 says, strive. 1 Timothy 4 says, train yourself. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, make every effort. And Philippians 2 says, work out your salvation. 
we all get the idea of a workout, don't we? You understand what working out involves, don't you? It's hard work, isn't it? When you work out, it's hard work. If you're, not, if you're not sweating, if you're not aching, if you're not in pain, you haven't really done a good workout. And it's almost like, just so you can grasp it, the moment you're converted, the moment that you believe in Jesus, God has paid your gym membership. He's given you all your gym kit. He even puts on your running shoes for you. He sets your alarm for 6 a.m. every morning. It goes off every morning for you. He's done all the work for you. But you've still got to get out of bed and get to the gym and make the effort and work out. That's the idea here. It's no good knowing about growing your salvation. It's no good reading books about how you grow in your godness if you don't actually put it into practice. You know, there's people who read all the magazines and books on getting fit but never actually do it. It's pointless, isn't it? There's a picture on the screen of a, of a guy from the newspaper this week. His name is Andy Albertson. There's a before and after picture. Same guy. 18 months difference. 18 months ago, he was 150 kilos. He used to hide at the back of the lecture halls because he didn't want to walk into the, into the lecture hall and people stare at him. He lost six, he's lost 75 kilos in 18 months. Uh, if you read this article, it's fascinating. Uh, he's basically asked, now, how did you do it? And he basically said, it's not rocket science. Discipline and desire. The discipline to eat well and to exercise lots. And the desire to want to be different. And that's really what I'm saying to you this morning. When it comes to working out your salvation, when it comes to growing in godliness, when it comes to saying no to sin, when it comes to actually loving Jesus more, it, it requires discipline and it requires desire. Yeah, it's the discipline of, of opening up the scriptures. It's the discipline of actually meditating on the word. It's the discipline of saying, okay, this part of my Christian life, it is not right. I'm not pure. I'm not faultless. I need to change. It's the discipline of, of actually taking action. Not just writing about it, but actually doing it. And it's the desire. Now, I, I think that's... Verse 12, with fear and with trembling. It's having that right attitude towards God. It's the knowing that God is holy and knowing that God is pure and you desire to honor him. You desire to revere him. You desire to, to, to bless his name by the way that you live. You don't want to grieve your savior. And when you've got that desire right, then the working out is actually easier. If people are here this morning and you know you actually used to go into the gym, you know that you often don't want to do it, but you know you always feel better having done it. And, and that is like you and your Christian life. That is an area of your life that you're not honoring God in. You know it needs to change, and you know when it does change that life is going to be even better. So why don't we do it? Why don't we put in the hard work of growing in our godliness? For some here, it might be laziness. You just can't be bothered to change. It's almost like you've got the, the work in progress sign out there, but there's no work being done. 
You know when you're driving down a motorway and you see all the signs saying work, but there's no workman around? That's some of us here. You know, we've got the sign out saying we want to grow in our godliness, but actually there's no work being done. Maybe we don't want to change. Maybe we're happy with where we are. But I hope that some of us here are excited actually that I am different today than I was two years ago. I am different today than I was last week. That's one side of the coin. We are called to work. And that word work in verse 12 is literally the the labor word, the toil word, is the sweat word. It is hard work to grow in your godliness. But if we're going to shine like stars, we need to do the hard work. The other side of the coin, love verse 13, look at it with me. For it is God who is working in you. Enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. This time verse 13, he doesn't say it is God who did the work in you at your conversion. As though God worked 27 years ago when he opened your eyes to Christ. Now it's all down to you to, to grow in God's to get to heaven. He doesn't say that. He says it is God who is currently, presently, at this moment working in you. Now who is that God who's working in you? Uh, The same God that exalted Jesus and gave them the name above every name. The same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The the same power that raised Christ from the the grave is at work in us. The same God who began the good work in us is still at work in us. God is at work. What's he doing in verse 13? He's enabling. That that word is a, a power word. He gives you the ability Enabling you both to desire, see that word? To want to change and to work out his good purpose. That's what God is doing. He's giving you the, the energy, he's giving you the ability, he's giving you the, the motivation to, to want to change. Now how does God do that? How does God work in us to change our desires and to motivate us to change? He does it in a whole load of ways, doesn't he? Yeah, of course he does it through his word. Ever, ever come to church and you kind of like, let's be honest, you don't want to be here and you kind of, oh, I can't be able to listen this morning. And, and there's, there's something that's said in the sermon. It's like, like God has got his finger and he's just prodding you and says, you need to hear this. Or you're having a conversation with someone over morning tea and it's just a, a throwaway comment. And it's almost like God is, is, is flashing, this is for you. Or maybe it's a song that we sing. It's hard to sing all of my life in every season, you are still God. And I have the reason to sing. It's really hard to sing that. It's almost like God saying that. Do you believe that? Do you believe you've always got a reason to praise me? God uses the scriptures to prod you. God uses people. God uses song. God uses your sin. You know, when, when, you, when you, you're, you're, you're convicted of a particular sin, he goes, that's need to change. If you're going to shine like a star, you're not being different in that area. So God does his work in us. And he calls us then to put on the gym clothes and to work out and to do the hard work and the effort. Happens to me all the time, you know. A book that I'm reading or a blog that I'm reading or a sermon I'm listening to or my own personal devotions or a song that I'm singing. It's not like God is 
flashing the lights saying, that needs to change and that needs to change. Or, oh, well done, good, good and faithful servant there. And aren't you thankful that God is at work? Verse 13. Aren't you thankful it is God who is working in you? Can you imagine what the Christian life would be like if it was all down to us? All our working out. It would be hard. It would be depressing. It would be religious. So God works. And he has worked. And he is working. So that we can put on our gym clothes and do the work. The illustration that I could think of was, um, you ever seen a, I don't know, a, a three-year-old trying to push a shopping trolley in a supermarket? You know, you've got a three-year-old and they're desperate to, to push this trolley. And they can hardly reach the, the, uh, the uh, rail and they're just looking through this mesh and you just watch this three-year-old and they're, they're smacking into things all over the place. Now, what does a parent do at that point? Just a, a, the light hand on the trolley and everyone watching on knows that actually it's the parent that's controlling it. But the child themselves thinks that they themselves are pushing the trolley. And that's like us in our Christian life, isn't it? Like God's always got his hand on us. He's always stronger than we are. He always guides us in the right direction we want to go. But we've almost got the impression that we're doing the work. But behind it all is an all-powerful all strong God who's actually holding on to us every step of the way. So I'm just here this morning to say shine like a star because God is at work in you and he calls you to work. Let's look at one example, one really practical example. So yeah, verse 15, our world is crooked and our world is perverted and we're called to shine like stars. So, so what's the one thing that Paul is going to pounce on? Surely it's going to talk about money. You know, how we as Christians can not be greedy and to use our money wisely. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about that. Oh, surely he's going to talk about sex, you know. How we as Christians can shine like a star in this sexually immoral way. He doesn't talk about sex. He doesn't talk about money. He doesn't talk about sex. He doesn't talk about power. He doesn't talk about pride. What does he talk about in verse 14? Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Isn't that amazing? He says, no whinging. That is the way you're going to shine like stars. Now that is confronting for me because I love a good grumble. I really wish he hadn't put the word everything in verse 14. Do some things without grumbling. That'd be okay. He says, no grumbling. Absolutely Never any complaining or any arguing. If you're going to shine like a star, if you're going to be pure and blameless and faultless and different to this world, make sure that the way that you talk about people and talk about stuff doesn't involve grumbling or complaining or whinging. Now, who's challenged by that? The word for grumble, it's not that loud shouting, vocal sort of complaining. The word for grumble there is kind of this sort of low-level mutterings. It's that sort of negative comments, the snide comments. It's the body language that sort of just sighs like, oh. You see that word, don't you, when there's a new policy in your workplace and that person goes... Oh, well, that's a stupid idea. That's never going to work. 
And you see it in church, don't you? When we announce a, a new ministry or a new idea, and you go, oh, that's a stupid idea, that's never going to work. I'm not going to get involved in that. I'm not giving my mind to that. Well, you see, as you come into church and the song comes up on purpose, and it's kind of like, oh, God, what a stupid song they said I'm going to song. And we do it all the time. Yeah, over morning tea. Oh, my high boots lost onto morning tea again. I did it two months ago. And it's this underlying complaining. And what Paul is saying here is that our world is like that. But we should not be like that because we're different. We are Christians. We don't grumble. We don't complain. The word for argue there, it doesn't mean you can't debate and you can't disagree. But you don't have this fisticuffs over it. Isn't that extraordinary that a simple thing like whinging can stop you from being pure and blameless? It's not extraordinary at all because God's people have always been grumblers, haven't they? If you know your Bibles back in the Old Testament when God had rescued his people from Egypt and he brought them through the Red Sea and they'd seen his power, they'd seen him destroy the Israelites, the Egyptians rather. And he, he promised them the promised land. And they're on the way to the promised land. And God is with them. And Moses is their leader. And what are God's people doing? They're whinging. Oh, we've got no food. Oh, we've got no water. Oh, this stupid leader Moses. Take us back to Egypt. They've always grumbled. They've always whinged. And can I just say that church can be the ugliest place when it's full of whinges. There's two people who I've met who I, I'm going to talk about the positive, not the negative here. Two people that I've met who are just shining examples of not complaining. There's a guy called Bobby who I met in South Africa. He lived in Bontiville. I lived with him for a month in his hut. He had two t-shirts. He had two pairs of pants. And I never heard him complain once in a month. Everything was positive. Even when, when life was hard, he had something to be thankful for. It's just a joy to live there. And the other one is my mother-in-law. And she's a woman who, I, I, for nine years, I, I don't think I've ever heard her complain once. And she's nursed uh, her mother who died of dementia. She's nursed her husband who's got severe Parkinson's disease. I've never heard her complain. And it's a joy to be with her. And I mentioned those two people because what would church be like if we never complained and we never grumbled, if we saw the positive in things? When someone hurts you, rather than whinging at them or whinging behind their back, resolve it and forgive each other and love well and don't grumble. When you don't like a song, somebody else likes it, it's okay. I was once on a... True story, I was once on a flight and this person was just complaining the whole time. And the person next to me said, uh, is there a, a non-complaining section of this plane that I could move to? <laughs> and sometimes you felt that about church, don't you? Is there a non-complaining group that I could actually just spend time with? Because it's refreshing and it's energizing and it's glorifying to God. Now, I know there's lots that we could whinge about, but let's not whinge about it. 
Now, how are you going to do that? Here's some top tips for avoiding grumbling. The world says, in terms of grumbling, allow yourself to complain of nothing. Never compare your lot with others. Don't wish for things that were different. Keep short accounts and see the best in people. That's good top tips. Complain about nothing. Don't compare yourself with others. Don't wish that things were different and keep short accounts. But the Bible says in verse 16, we'll hold firmly to the message of life. Keep living for Christ. Keep trusting God. Keep focusing on who you are in Christ. Keep your noses in the Bible to remind you of God's sovereignty and God's goodness and God's grace and make your attitude be like that of Christ Jesus. Always consider others better than yourself. And I reckon if we did that simple thing, we would stop grumbling. Or verses 16 and 17, he's basically saying, uh, be rejoicing, be grateful, be thankful for stuff. And that is the opposite, isn't it? If you're, if you're constantly grateful, if you're constantly rejoicing in who you are in Christ, if in every season of the life you say, I've got this reason to praise God even when things are tough, then maybe we'd stop grumbling. Because what does our grumbling say about the God that we claim to worship? If people never step foot in church, but they see you as a Christian and all you do is whinging, complaining, and grumbling, what does that communicate about the God that you claim to worship? Doesn't it communicate that, you know, he's not always in control or he's not always good or he's weak or he's impotent? But when in our just daily lives we're able to talk about the good things in life or how we trust God even in the hard times or we've reconciled relationally or we don't like things, but that's okay. I think we shine like stars. So my challenge this morning is this. People don't read Matthew, Mark and Luke and John, but they do look at your life. So this week would you shine brightly for Jesus? And next week, would you shine even brighter still for Jesus? And would you keep on shining for Jesus and keep on growing in your godliness and growing in your purity and growing in your blamelessness? That's going to be hard work. God signed you up to the gym. He's given you the gym clothes. He's given you the gym membership. He's set your alarm clock. Get out of bed. Do your workout. Grow in your godliness. And how awesome would this church be? There is no whinging and no complaining. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have been so kind to us. The love that you've lavished on us, the grace that you've shown us, the mercy that you pour out day by day. Thank you, Father, that you've given us each other and the way that you can use us to build each other up and encourage each other. Help us to do that well. I ask, Lord, that this week we would shine in this dark world, that people would see the light of Christ through us and in us. Lord, change the way that we speak to each other, the way that we speak about each other. Change the way, Lord, that we think and act. I ask, Lord, that this week we'd have the joy of people seeing Christ as we shine in this dark world. Father, we long to be like Christ, so please keep prodding us, keep working in us. And give us, Lord, the the discipline and the desire to want to work out our salvation. Ask that for Jesus' sake.